Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to become an overseer, he desires a noble task. It is necessary, then, for the overseer to be above reproach, the husband of only one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent man, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It is necessary that he manage his own household well, with all dignity, making sure that his children obey him. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. In addition, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. In the same way, it is necessary that deacons be dignified, not deceitful, not devoted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, men who hold on to the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they are found to be blameless. In the same way, women must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in everything. Let each deacon be the husband of only one wife, managing his children and his own household well. Certainly those who serve well as deacons gain for themselves good standing and great boldness in the faith they have in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you even though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I wanted you to know how it is necessary to behave in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Undeniably, great is the mystery of godliness. He was revealed in flesh, was justified in spirit, was seen by messengers, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is the word of our God. And so Paul continues dealing with this this topic of Gnosticism, which is still in its rather early stages um, before it flowers um, into into all of its deadly danger and uh, and demonic deception. There we go. Um, in the next thirty to sixty years after the writing of this letter. And as Paul deals with Gnosticism, he's dealing particularly with some of the traits of it. And one of the major traits that we saw back in chapter 1 was that it, it leads to this self-directed spirituality. That if matter and the physical are bad, and inward spirit and emotion are good, then I, or any person, has any right to be directed and driven along by their own desires, by their own emotions, by their own inward ideas and attitudes. And that even though even though the term Gnosticism comes from this idea of secret and hidden knowledge that has to be revealed, even though the term Gnosticism comes from that idea of hidden knowledge, at the same time, you don't need a hidden knowledge if you subs- simply subscribe to this philosophy. Um, the philosophy that says, whatever I want in my heart, that is the truth and that is good. Because 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 that's where the pure, true reality can be found. And that's a dangerous thought. But it's been common throughout, throughout the Christian church, throughout history, and it especially exploded here around Ephesus um, or toward the end of that first century and the very beginning of the second century A.D., so as Paul writes to Timothy, he's dealing with that, that idea that 
that a person can have his or her own self-directed spirituality as long as they understand the basics of Gnosticism. The idea that it doesn't matter what you do in the body, that sin does not exist, that a holy God with actual holy demands upon our lives, that that does not really exist. And that is what they taught. And you see, and, and we begin to unravel how detrimental this heresy actually is, how against scripture it actually is. And one of the major points that Paul made in the last chapter, and he comes around to that point again here in this chapter, is that spirit and flesh or spirit and physical are are actually good. They're supposed to be in union and we are redeemed from the from sin and redeemed from the unholiness of the physical and spiritual by the Son of God, who himself is spirit and physical being. That the Son of God, the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God took on human flesh. That is a physical reality. And he who is the eternal spiritual being with no beginning and no end, the second person of the Trinity, he took on our physical reality, shared in our physical reality, and died for real actual sins and infractions against the holy law of God. And so as Paul writes to Timothy about how do you combat this squishy false teaching that really asserts me and my own heart and my own emotion over against anything that the Bible says, Paul combats it, first of all, with some order and with some structure and by externalizing things. He has some order and structure in the worship service where he has specific commands for how they are to worship. He has specific commands for what they are to pray about, that you don't simply turn your back on the world but that rather you pray for the people of the world and that you um, you carry on your worship in a way that is holy and honorable, that you dress and present yourself in such a way as presenting and coming before the Lord God himself, that we aren't driven along by our lusts, our, our emotions, and our desires, and therefore that has implications for how we dress, that we want to present ourselves in a way that doesn't associate us with somebody um, of that Gnostic belief <laughs> is, is kind of where he's going with that. Um, and then in chapter three, Paul talks again about some of the external guidelines and the, the external guardrails, I suppose, for um, avoiding this Gnostic heresy. And some of these external guardrails are the organization that God has set up within the church, that the pastor himself is not the source of knowledge, but that he does have spiritual authority and an actual authority to carry out discipline and doctrine and practice within God's church. And that this authority um, also applies, first of all, to his own life with the life that he lives in the body, that he isn't driven along and taken captive by every false teaching and by every whim of his human uh, sinful desire. But rather, the pastor, the overseer, has a number of characteristics. And most of these, beginning in verse 2, you recognize most of these are um, matters of character, not of skill or aptitude. There's only one skill that is listed in this entire list that he is able to teach. The rest is um, attitude, not aptitude. It is a matter of character, not a matter of skills. 
And so that character, he is to be above reproach, the husband of only one wife, if he is married, uh, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not a violent man, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his own household well with all dignity, and he must not be a recent convert, and he has a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Those are all characteristics, and those are things that you can expect to see in your pastor, and please pray for your pastor that he may continue to have those things and indeed grow in those things because the devil would love to trap to trap God's people all of them and that trap can happen through disappointment with the pastor through um, obvious public moral failure as well as through an inward attitude that does not align with these characteristics and qualifications that Paul talks about here and also when we talk about this we also recognize that God gave these guidelines for a specific purpose to combat false teaching, a false teaching that says, um, I can be driven along by whatever I say in my heart and I can be a teacher on whatever I feel in my heart. And the answer, Paul says, well, no, God gave a pastor, God gave an overseer into your into your congregation, into your life, and that pastor, that overseer, is a person who is worthy of respect, and that person has the spiritual authority to to discern the word of God and to apply that word of God. And that, that also applies when he talks about deacons in this next paragraph, verses 8 through 13. When he talks about deacons, it's a reminder that um, the terms that we have in the New Testament don't specifically correlate with specific offices or duties or tasks that we have necessarily within congregations today. The closest equivalent to what we might, to what Paul calls deacons might be um, the common term we use is elders, that somebody is an, a man is an elder in the church. Although there are some of our congregations that use the word deacon instead. But that that elder, that deacon, is somebody who assists the pastor in the spiritual care of the congregation. That's different from, you know, in the typical structure, the other people on the council who assist with the buildings and grounds um, or the financial management of the congregation. The elder or the deacon is entrusted specifically with um, spiritual care tasks, such as assisting with the visitation of those who are shut in or those who haven't been in worship in a while. And so this elder is is of a similar similar character that this deacon is not devoted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, a man who holds onto the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience, and then they are tested and found as deacons. And also, there's, and this is some of the squishiness in the terminology, that he talks about uh, women who are worthy of respect, not slanderers, temperate, faithful, and everything. That there can be a place for women to help assist in the spiritual care of the congregation, particularly toward toward women, other, other women, especially single women in the church, um, as well as in the encouragement and the mentoring relationships that ought to happen within a church. And I think that's a major point that Paul brings out here, that the way we conduct ourselves as men and women within God's church is of a way that is respectful and, is, and recognizes that we aren't, we aren't slaves to our own desires, emotions, and whims. Rather, we have been constrained by the word of God. And our purpose and our goal is to serve the Lord, not to serve according to whatever our own personal desire happens to be. And again, it's the same thing that we saw in the previous chapter from yesterday's episode, or Saturday, whatever day it was. 
the previous chapter that says the worship service is about externalizing the understanding that the worship service is less about my emotion than the proclamation of the word of God. The worship service is less about my reaction as opposed to, and more about the proclamation and the application of that word of God. And so the same thing here, Paul says that your life and your, your standing and your whatever occupation or task that you carry out within the church does not depend on how you feel about it, but it, there is this set of external characteristics. And a lot of those characteristics align with his opposition to Gnosticism, that Gnosticism would say it doesn't matter if you get drunk or whatever the case may be. And Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it does matter because sins of the body affect the soul, that you can't divide the the two. And that's where Paul concludes at the end of chapter 3 today, that the mystery of godliness is great. Jesus was revealed in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by messengers, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory that this Son of God chose for a time to not make full and frequent use of his divine power, glory, and honor. And then he took up that power again, that his time in submission to the Lord was not a time of weakness, but rather a time when his glory was clothed in weakness, but that glory and that power was revealed through the word of God, which constrains our lives today, and that word of God, which proclaims in our lives today that this Jesus has redeemed you from sin. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.